my, my puppy issues. When we start, last night was a tough night. I know. I know, I talked to the Newmans this morning, they got a newborn baby, and I'm, and I'm like complaining about my puppy. But I was up at midnight, and 2, and 4, and 6 a.m. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I have compassion for your plight. A little bit. Hey, um... Something that Justine was talking about, uh, Captive Hearts, I really appreciate what they do in their ministry. And in those handouts that are sitting uh, in front of you, it, it talks about this Valentine's dinner thing that they're doing. It's an auction. The cool thing is they're trying, they used to rent a house. They're trying to buy a permanent home for what they're doing with these women trying to get them out of sex trafficking and addiction and things like that. And so my wife and I actually, I bought tickets for it. And I didn't realize how expensive they were. I, I do now. Uh, but I, they're trying to buy a house, so they're going to be expensive. So my wife and I bought a, a couple tickets. I put myself as a table head. I don't even know what that means. Hopefully it doesn't mean I have to do anything. Uh, but if you would like to go to that, and you go to that thing, and you sign up on their website and order tickets, you could sit with us or somewhere else. You're probably like... <laughs> I don't want to hear any more puppy stories. I'm going to sit somewhere else. But if, if you are interested in that, uh, you could actually sit with us because we're going to be there. You, I get, you say, which table do you want to be at? You could like, click on us. Or if you know somebody else, you can sit at a different table again. It's fine. I just, I just think it's a really great thing, and I appreciate their ministry. And my wife also likes auctions, so I'm going to hide the credit card. Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the inside, you're going to get a little reflection of what we talk about today, some questions to go deeper. On the back side, you get the verses we're going through and a very short place for notes. But underneath that is that mission grid that Justine was talking about. We're going to talk about that during today's message as well, kind of bring all this together for you to help us understand what mission is because quite honestly I don't think that we have done a great job of explaining what mission is over the years and I think I need to apologize to you for that because uh, one of my friends said they thought mission was uh, taking unbelievers to the place of belief and yeah that, that's part of mission uh, but it's not the only part of mission uh, someone said well I thought it was just serving in the world and well, yeah, that, that's part of it. It's part of our calling in the world. And I have a friend who's you know, coming to Element over a decade at this point, and they thought it was just serving. And that's not their fault. That's ours for not clearly stating that. So I just want to apologize up front. We're going to do better in the future. And hey, we're Element. We own our mistakes. And we got a lot of them. <laughs> uh, so uh, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements. You'll get that a link to that little grid in there as well. Uh, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 
This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, When James and Cephas, that's Peter, by the way, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, and this is the word for saw, the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I ask that you would teach us today to understand what the calling is that you have placed in our lives, that we would see the places where we live, work, and play as mission fields that we get to be a part of in great joy, and that we can reflect what you have done in our lives and what you continue to do. We thank you for the grace that we have received. Teach us to see the grace around us and to live in the grace that has been provided. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in the New Testament book of Galatians. If you want to open there in the Element Bible, it's page 631. Uh, We're in Galatians chapter 2 today. Funny thing about uh, the messages in Galatians right now is... When I first did those first four messages we've gone through, I remembered when I was writing those that Mike Harmon had asked me to redo the Redemption Group messages, and so I redid those and then recorded those, which took, I don't know, weeks, like a month or two, and then I came back to the book of Galatians. So I got to read those first four messages and then step into this one. That means nothing to you, but in my mind, it's like, oh, this can be very practical today and go along with everything we've talked about so far. Sometimes when you get into the book of Galatians, You'll see some places, and it looks like Paul is just trying to start a fight, like he's very confrontational. And there are some places that he does that. But you have to understand, Paul loves the good news of the gospel. He wants to make sure the truth of it is what people see and what people understand. But sometimes it can look like he's just wanting to fight. And after I read a bunch of commentaries, I really like what Todd Wilson said about this. Todd Wilson, he he goes, instead of seeing Paul wanting to fight, what we need to see is the grace that's taking place here. And that's what I want to do with you today. I want to help you to see the grace of God's work in the world and what's happening in Galatians, but what is also maybe happening in our lives as well. I think it's easy to talk about the need for grace in our lives, but it's another thing to see it. I think sometimes we say, oh, grace is great, but do we really believe we need it as well? There's lots of Christians who will use words like, I'm thankful I received God's grace. Preachers will say, believe in grace or get saved by grace. But what does it look like when you actually see it? Like when was the last time you saw grace and it wasn't a Grace Denton or a Grace Weeding or a Grace Harmon or something like that? Because reading the Bible, it is clear that we can actually see grace in front of us. Now, it's going to take some time to walk through this, so you're going to have to go with me. You're stuck anyway. Okay, so Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is how it starts. Then after 14 years, I, that's Paul, went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, I know it seems like a weird place to start. We talk about seeing grace, but this is the beginning of the conversation of where these elders, these leaders in Jerusalem saw the grace of what was happening in Paul's ministry and in his life. And I don't know if you've ever had an intense conversation, but if you read some of this in the book of Acts, this is a very intense conversation. Maybe for you, it's you're talking to your boss and it's like, oh, I didn't know that all the post-its weren't free. And I couldn't take them home. I'm sorry for stealing them. Or maybe you're a little, when you're a little kid, you're talking to your parents, and you say, "And you say, oh, I didn't know you said all the cookies weren't mine. I thought it was just. I thought I could have like all of them, not just one. I'm really sorry." Or you're talking to your spouse, and you say, "Oh, I, I thought you said it's okay to buy that new TV for the Super Bowl. I didn't hear you say not before okay." 
intense conversations, okay? So Paul is having an intense conversation. This is why he tells his story about how he came to understand grace in Galatians 1. At the end of Galatians 1, Paul does this three-year time jump, and he ends up in Jerusalem, and he talks to Peter and James. Now at the beginning of chapter 2, he does a 14-year time jump, and he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's meeting with Peter, James, and John. And that's like the Holy Trinity of the Apostles. I mean, they're like the heavy hitters right there. And he's talking about the gospel that he proclaims. He takes along Barnabas and Titus for a reason that we'll talk about more towards the end of this message. But Paul is there because of a revelation. Now, a revelation is something that externally God did. So God does this thing externally that causes Paul to go. But as he goes, he starts dealing with this thing internally. Am I running my race in vain? So internally, then, there is this fear. And some people think that Paul is concerned that he had the wrong message or the methods that he was using weren't correct, so he's trying to get confirmation that he's doing things correctly. Now, that's not why Paul is going. We know that for three main reasons. Number one, Paul is going to Jerusalem in response to a revelation. Paul is an apostle, direct access to God, so when God says, go, you go, you're not like, hey, is this what I'm supposed to do? Secondly, if he had been uncertain, why wait 14 years to go figure it out? I mean, that, some of you are slow processors, but that's extreme right? 14 years. Maybe I'll go now and find out about it. But third, in Galatians 1.8, Paul has already said, if I come to you with a different gospel, you reject it. If an angel from heaven shows up with a different gospel, you reject it. Paul has said, this is the gospel message. It does not change. So we know that's not why Paul is going. Am I doing the right thing? N.T. Wright says this, what we need to see is that nothing was threatening Paul's certainty, but something was threatening his fruitfulness. So Paul is certain about grace, but there are these false teachers who are saying what Paul says about grace isn't really how we're saved, that that grace isn't really grace. They want us to be saved by our personal works, by being circumcised, by following the law. And if the other apostles did not confirm Paul's message when he went to Jerusalem, well, what he is preaching might become meaningless because then the false teachers would be right. Oh, he's not really sent by these people. Paul doesn't really have the backing and authority of the Holy Trinity of the apostles. So as we talked about last week, Paul is appealing to them to say, look, confirm my message, confirm my ministry. And so Paul goes back, and they will do that in just a moment, which you'll see. But Paul, again, had this fear he was running his race in vain. Paul's fear was not a fear that the Jerusalem apostles didn't know the real gospel or understand the real gospel. What he feared was that they may not be true to that gospel. Now, this happens sometimes at Element. Every once in a while, we will get an email or a phone call from someone, and they will say, is your pastor afraid to speak up for the truth? Is your pastor afraid to offend people? If you've been at Element any length of time, I offend you guys all the time, usually not on purpose. But it happens a lot. You know I'm not afraid to offend, uh, offend anybody. But this is the thing. Will they, will they stand up for true and real grace? And the beautiful part of it is they weren't afraid. They confirmed Paul's ministry. And this is why it's so important when we talk about seeing grace, what seeing grace actually looks like. So how did they see grace in order to confirm Paul's ministry? And this goes to that mission grid that we're talking about. First off, what you see is that the gospel and grace was seen in the advancement of the gospel. 
the gospel going forward. What is the gospel? It is the announcement of the good news that Jesus has come to rescue us, that he came in our place. He has taken our sin upon himself. He has given us his life. He dies in our place, taking our death upon himself in order to give us new life and restoration with God. The gospel, the good news. Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that we, so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So God is doing a work. God is going out and he is bringing people to know him that don't know him. That is a visible sign of God's grace being active in the world. And when I say that, this is not a cultural version of who God is that goes along with our cultural biases like you have to get circumcised. It's the real God doing a work of grace and mercy. And this is why Paul will speak of his interaction with these false teachers by saying, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And this is speaking of this guy named Titus, that Titus was not forced to be circumcised. And there's a lot of verses here, and you might get confused in the midst of them, but Paul is doing this to help the Galatians understand. So I'm going to read the rest of these. Don't get lost. I'll bring it back together, I promise. I'm a professional. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 6 goes like this. And from those who seem to be influential, what they are makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been uh, entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. I know, again, a lot of words. And when James and Stephen and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, again, the word for saw, saw the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Okay, so Paul says it this way because he's trying to make this argument to Galatians. But essentially, what did these leaders see? They saw salvation going forward. They saw people believing in the person of Jesus Christ on the mission grid. What is part of mission or calling in the world? To take unbelievers to belief. And this is what they saw. They concluded the only right thing to do would be to partner with the Apostle Paul in his ministry by extending the right hand of fellowship, meaning they reached a resolution, all because they saw the grace. This is what is happening with Paul in the area of Galatia. People are believing. The ability for us to understand what grace in our lives is going to really affect every part of our life. It's going to affect how we spend our money, how we spend our time, how we pray, what church we join how we assess our spiritual health, all of our relationships, uh, how you parent your kids, how we make decisions, how we resolve conflicts. But you have to understand, understanding grace yourself is not seeing grace. It's not seeing it happening around you. So would we know grace if we saw it? Can you pick grace out of a crowd? Can you say, yes, that's grace. What do we look for in order to see grace? The first thing here is the gospel advancing forward. That's how you see grace. When God's being made known and people are coming to believe, that's grace. That's a visible sign of grace. We know it is grace when, a someone, when someone in our world today comes under the conviction of their sin and puts their trust in their Savior who died for them. When you see that, it's grace. And this is for me why I love baptisms at Element, or really anywhere. But I love baptisms because it's a party. We get together and we eat and we celebrate. And I love it if it's just one person or 15 people. We will do baptisms if it's just one 
one person because it's a celebration and baptisms are a visible sign of God's grace of what he's doing in the world. But you have to understand grace is not always pretty. It's not always tied up with the bow. Sometimes grace is, is very hard. The authorities in Jerusalem saw the grace, but that grace is something that Paul had to fight for every step of the way because these people were saying that grace looked different than it actually did. And a lot of people today think grace looks different than it actually does. We think that grace looks like people getting their lives cleaned up and they look just like us. This is what happened to the false teachers in Galatia. They were saying, grace looks like when you get circumcised and everybody looks like me. That's when we get to see grace. And missionaries have done that for a very long time. They fail to see how to take Jesus into the cultural context of where people actually are. A lot of times missionaries try to change people's culture to the one the missionary comes from. And in so doing, say, oh, now you're like me? Now I will share to you what the gospel of Jesus Christ is like. A lot of people only see grace when people start to look just like them. That's what's happening in Galatia. Western missionaries did this for a very, very long time. They did it with Native Americans in, in America, uh, in, in Hawaii. You know where moo-moos came from? Missionaries go to Hawaii and they don't want to see girls' boobies hanging out, so they get moo-moos and slap them on the, on the women there. And I talk to the staff about using the word boobies, okay? <laughs> See, I'm offending people. But it was very juvenile. It was very juvenile. And so I'm like, I'm going to use this word because it was a juvenile thing to do. In South America, they had a tribal chieftain who would have like 10 wives. And they would say, when they, oh, you want to believe in Jesus? You can only have one wife. And they'd have to get rid of those nine other wives who had to resort to prostitution to keep them and their kids with food on the table. It was terrible. There was no grace for people who looked different than the missionaries. And I am not saying that we don't talk about one man, one woman, one lifetime, you know, monogamy. It's what it's supposed to be. I'm not saying we don't, we don't talk about being, uh, covering our baby-making parts. You know, we should do those things. But there's no grace for where people were when they got saved. One of my favorite stories is in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 19, you see lives changing left and right. If you want a deeper dive into this, go to our Acts part two series I did a few years ago. But this is just the highlights of what you see, grace going forward, visible signs of it. And I just want you to hear this. Don't turn there. Just listen to this. Acts 19, starting in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Like they don't even know who Jesus is. They're just saying his name. Verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered them all. Means he beat them up and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's how you know you lost a fight, by the way. If you started with clothes on, you end with no clothes on. You're going to be a weakened demonologist. You've got to be careful. Verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. That means held in high honor. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And the number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together. At that time, those would have been scrolls. And burned them in the sight of all. Something that was seen. I've never been to a scroll burning. 
Maybe it's fun. I don't know. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. In today's vernacular, that's over a million bucks. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So you have this church in Ephesus. You see this work of the grace of God, and God just does this amazing thing. And it wasn't this seven-step calculated church plan of how we're going to begin this church. I love seven-step calculated plans, but here God does this work of grace, and it looks a bit like chaos. It's not always tied up with the bow. I mean, if, if I had to live in this time in the book of Acts, I'd be like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know what I do. I don't want to live through that. I like things neat and orderly. I can talk. You can ask questions, go back and forth. Then you're like, that sounds great. I want to believe in Jesus. And I'm like, yes, let's pray. It's, it's, it's wonderful. That's not what happened here. I mean, I've said this before, but this would be like you driving down the 101 and there's a big old bonfire on the side of the road and people are tossing Ouija boards into it. And you're like, hey, what's going on? And they're like, we just started a church. You'd be like, Okay, right? And you would just keep on driving because that's it's just kind of weird. I don't know what's happening with that. This was spontaneous. God's doing this work of grace and lives are being changed and it was happening faster than you can think. But what happened in Ephesus is what happens in Galatia. People started showing up and they started saying, oh, I want a part of this power. I want a part of this movement. What happens in Galatia is that they were trying to take a movement of God's grace and change it into a movement of law. And you can't do that. In Galatia and Ephesus, there's this thing that centers around sorcery, and sorcery has its roots in superstition. It's like superstition is the gods are angry with me, and I got to find the right spells and incantations and rituals to keep the gods appeased because they're always mad at me and they want to do mean things to me. But what's the central announcement of the gospel? It's that God has sent his son to save us, to rescue us. It's that God is good. And God is not capricious. God has come to rescue us right where we are. He's come to make peace with us. You don't have to make peace with these capricious gods that don't actually exist. There is one God, and his heart is bent towards you in grace. What this is, is a historical profound shift in understanding of who God is and what grace looks like. It's that God loves us where we are. This is an announcement. You can know where you stand with God because he has placed his grace upon you. He has brought peace. Now, Acts 19 probably takes place mid-40s, early 50s. If you fast forward to the book of Revelation, Jesus will actually talk to this church, and it's about a generation later. And he tells them, you have lost your first love of God himself. You have this excitement of this vibrant, real, true, amazing, gospel-moving, full of stories, people getting saved. And it really does need to become organized at some point. People need to be discipled and walk with one another through life. And that's really cool. But again, people showed up. I want a bit of this power. I want a bit of this authority. I'm an apostle too. And Jesus tells them in Revelation 2 that he knows their toil. He knows their perseverance. But you've abandoned the love you had at first. Because in the beginning, this church, this was all grace and joy, proclamation of the gospel. But a couple decades later, all of their energy is spent internally on their own problems. Now, a few weeks ago, Element handed out this questionnaire. And we asked you guys about certain things here because part of that is to move us away from the place where we are focusing on our own internal problems to the excitement of mission in the world. So we asked a lot of questions about, you know, what's discipleship and are you in a gospel community and how do these things work and who are you discipling and stuff like that because we wanted to see how to get us to stop looking internally and start to look outward. 
That was kind of one of the points of it. And to be quite honest, a lot of us are very internally focused. It's like, well, this didn't meet my need and I didn't like that, rather than looking outward of how can we reach people. And this is, again, why we did this whole mission grid to start helping us to understand our calling and our lives. We want to see the gospel go out and people's lives begin to be changed. Many people will point out that this church started because they understood the world needed to hear the good news of Jesus. They were bold, they were fresh, they were creative, but somewhere they lost that passion and impulse, and it started to turn all internally. Jesus is very affirming. You work hard, you don't put up with evil, you test those who want to be teachers, you just stop power grabbers, but you've lost your understanding of grace. That's what he's saying to them. Even in this craziness, it was a sign of God's grace, of God's spirit moving. How about today? Do you know in Africa, Africa has the largest segment of growing Christians in the world. Millions and millions of people are coming to follow Christ, but it's a lot like Ephesus because there's not a lot of deep theological background in that. They're not very astute. Uh, but there's social problems now, and they're actually being dealt with by Christians in the area. Christians are creating more orphanages and hospitals and places to care for AIDS sufferers. And here's the amazing thing. They're also giving voice to ordinary village women in these churches. They're empowering them in their homes and in their community. Anna Zeta writes this, In our Mozambican culture, women don't have an active voice in the family. But in Christian life, we discover that not just the husband, but also the wife can have a role. This is why, because there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. We're equal in who he calls us to be. The New York Times wrote an article about this years ago, and this is what they said. Yet while it sounds strange to say so, evangelicals may be Africa's most important feminist influence today. How weird is that, right? Because in America, it's those evangelicals, they're, they're against all these things. But here, because of the equality of what Christ brings, it's making a big difference. They can't believe what they're seeing. Why can't they believe it? Because they're seeing grace, and they don't understand it. Just like many times, we think grace has to be a particular thing, and we don't actually see it when it's right in front of us. They're seeing the power of the gospel. Again, what is the gospel? Everyone in the world is equally lost no matter where we're born, no matter our ethnicity or male, female, rich, poor. But through Jesus, salvation is given that is not based upon our pedigree. It's not based upon our background. We are loved apart from what we have done. And everyone needs grace because everyone is equally loved and equally lost. And when people get that, it starts to change culture. Are we a people who are excited about God's grace and seeing it move? Now you go back here to the elders in Jerusalem. What did they see? They saw all these Gentiles following Jesus. Galatians 2 verse 7, When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, verse 9, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Here you see that they're going these different directions, but it's God is the one who works. It's not about Peter. It's not about Paul, much less you or me. The gospel, God causes the gospel to advance in people's hearts and that's how we get to see grace. They heard about Paul's change of life and how he went to Arabia and Galatians 1.17, how he went to Syria and Cilicia and Galatians 1.21. They see the grace. They hear all these stories. But standing right in front of them is this guy named Titus, who was a Gentile. And you get the sense that Paul knew he would need Titus in this moment, not as an intern to go get his coffee, but as a living proof of the effect of his gospel ministry, of what he preached. There used to be this old saying, the proof is in the pudding. Well, here, in terms of seeing the gospel, the pudding is people. It's converted sinners. You're the pudding. There you go. You know, that's the proof of God's grace. Second one is this. We see grace in the growth of God's people. 
That's another place we see grace. And that goes to the mission grid. Because in that mission grid, what do we say? We want to take people from being self-focused to being kingdom-focused. It's part of our calling in the world. It's not just everybody else's job. It's our job with one another in the communities that we are in. Many times, we want to see people, when they trust Christ, the very next day, their entire life changed. Like, it's, it's totally different. But God works so slow in our lives. Grace is seeing the way God grows us and changes us to look more like Him. And God does that in community. Because many times, you will not see the change in your own life, but you will see the change in other people's lives. And it's good to have people step in and say, this is the grace I see that God is changing and doing stuff in your life. I could personally go around this room and I could point out a bunch, I'm not going to do it, okay, but, but I could point out a bunch of things and changes I've seen in all of you. I mean, there are people in here that I have seen be pessimistic and they've moved to a profound hope in who Christ is in the midst of their hardship. I've seen some of you who never used to smile and now you laugh readily. I have some of you not even know or care about decent doctrine or theology and now you want to know more about the deep things of God, God's truth above your own. I have seen some of you that have this severe introspection about your life, and now you're starting to look outside of yourself and care for those around you. I've seen a rigid fundamentalism, and I have no idea why fundamentalists call themselves fundamentalists because they're not fun at all. But this rigid fundamentalism moved to a softening and this freedom in your life. And on the other side, I've seen some people with a willy-nilly laissez-faire attitude about God and others turn into a genuine care about God's holiness. I have seen a prideful arrogance broken to a sweet humbleness. And as much as I want to make a country music joke right now about leaving country music, I'm not going to do it. You're welcome. All too often, we go blind to what God is doing because God doesn't work in our timetable. He works on His timetable. And again, sometimes He works so slow. Yet I will tell you, God is always right on time. And what is a visible sign of grace? It is when people long to start walking with Christ in obedience to what He's called us to. Todd Wilson writes this, Sacrificial obedience in the service of Christ is the most clear, least ambiguous expression of grace of the grace of God in the world. This is because sacrificial obedience is the most concrete and therefore the most tangible form of grace. And he says it like that, not because this is what we do to make God love us, it's that this is a response to the grace that God has put in our lives. Our lives start to change to be kingdom focused. And when that happens, we are those that go out and touch others' lives and people touch our lives backwards and, and forwards. And this is what the people in the early church saw in Paul's ministry, visible grace and changed lives. But that's not the end of the mission grid, right? On the bottom of the mission grid, there is also service. And to give you a bit of context, there is service in this. The revelation from Galatians 2.2, where Paul said, I went to Jerusalem because of a revelation. Well, there is this prophecy that took place of this famine that would hit Judea and Jerusalem. And many of these people would be hard hit and without food. In Acts 11, verses 27 to 30, it says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Abigail stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So one writer, when he talks about this, he says that when, they, when Paul and Barnabas and Titus show up in Jerusalem, they bring with them a big old bag of concrete grace. 
That's, that's money. So it's not just Titus and his changed life. It's not just how Barnabas and Paul and Titus and all these churches are growing as well. It is this bag full of money, and this money was given by these Gentile churches. And if you read Galatians, you understand the church in Jerusalem were the ones who were saying, no, they need to be circumcised. They need to follow the law. This is what grace looks like when they look like us. And this church looked past that. Because they understood the call of grace in their lives. And they said, we need to help those people because they're believers. And they gave of their money to make sure. These people that were being rejected as not true people in the kingdom of God gave of themselves in service. Because mission is calling and leads us to service. And they gave to these people in Jerusalem. And it was simply amazing. How do you see a visible sign of God's grace? It's God's people becoming a generous people. When they start to think of other people other than themselves. And this is why in that newsletter you see all these things when you guys give to us that we help in our world and in our local community. And this is one of the reasons we talk about this because mission is part of our service and how we live. Paul is on a ministry of mercy. He's bringing famine relief. He's meeting the needs of these poor saints in Jerusalem. And so Paul presents the leaders of this church with a bag of grace born of the sacrifices of the church in a place called Antioch, mainly full of Gentiles. And it's this beautiful expression of grace that when believers give up their resources and their lives to sacrificially meet the needs of others, that is a visible sign of God's grace. Do you see how in mission, when we begin to live this out, you see this is visible grace in our lives in the things God calls us to. All right, so I'll bring this together. I'll end it for you. Uh, how do we develop the ability to see grace? How do we begin to do that? If you've been around Element any of the time, you know where we're going with this. We must first understand the gospel, right? We've got to understand the gospel in order to recognize it not only in ourselves, but in the world around us. So, do you understand the grace that you've been given? Do you understand the great worth that God has placed upon you because he has bestowed it upon you? Do you understand what the gospel truly is, the good news of Jesus spoken over you in the core of who you are, its announcement over you? Has your life been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation? Because in order to live a gospel-rooted life, we need to be able to see God's grace in ourselves and the world around us. Now, in one sense, everything is grace, right? It, you wake up, you go to bed, the heater's on in this room, you got a car, you drove here, you slept last night, unless you had a puppy. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, it's all grace. But there is specific grace that we get to see around us. And that means we need to develop the ability to discern the grace of God and not look right past it. And that means we need a certain type of theological insight. This is, again, why we're talking about mission and what that infographic, that grid, looks like. I think some of us, again, have a hard time seeing grace because we expect grace to look like this thing in our lives. I want this thing to be fixed. And meanwhile, God's like, no, no, I'm working on this thing over here. And there's a lot of churches, I think, that end up being graceless because they stop looking for grace in all the areas God's doing it and only look for it in one specific spot. Guys, grace, God is doing a work, and many times we don't understand it until he finishes that work. We're like, oh, wow, look what God just did. Because this is the reason we're called sheep. Bah, that's, what, that's what we're like. Now, grace, you got to understand, grace is seen when the sun's shining and, and kids are laughing and playing and puppies go outside to go pee. But it's also seen in the times and places where you're struggling through something in your life. 
and someone comes along beside you and walks with you through that, when God's Spirit is drawing you back to Himself, sometimes, I mean, grace is even when you're like, I feel like something's missing in my heart and in my life. That's God drawing you to Himself, and that is grace. Grace is seen in all of these areas. And we have to understand that when we see grace as moving in all of these places, grace is right in front of us all the time. It really is. I think too often we become preoccupied with the non-grace around us rather than the grace that is right in front of us. And if we are going to see grace, you have to start in the place of understanding Christ's death on the cross for us. We're never going to be able to see grace in all the hard parts in our lives because grace is seen in the shed blood of Jesus. The worst suffering ever imaginable is a visible sign of grace given to us. And when we see that, that can recalibrate our lives, our grids from last week, to focus on the grace of God, which is perfectly displayed there. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So how's this? How are we doing in this respect? You don't have to answer right now. It's not a test. Don't worry. But how visible is God's grace in our lives? And how often do we tell one another how visible God's grace is in their lives? Like if the Apostle Paul or the church leaders in Jerusalem were to visit our homes or watch our lives, would they see grace? Would would they see it? If they reviewed how we spend our resources, our time, our money, our talents, would grace be what they see? If they were to interview our family, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, would they see grace? And if you're like, who? That's a hard question, and maybe I feel like I became stagnant in this. Do you understand that if you are somebody who's like, I feel like I've become stagnant, and maybe they wouldn't see grace, that's also grace, because you're able to see it there and be like, oh, oh, I'm not living this way. There is a difference, and by allowing, God allowing you to see that, that is grace in your life. See, sometimes I think we, we get pushed in these places because of movies or TV shows and religious people are a bunch of nuts who always want to just, you know, put obedience on top of you and this is what you have to do and don't mess this up or God's going God's gonna to hate you. Guys, we got to understand that God reveals the places where we are falling short because he loves us. And God knows that we cannot save ourselves. We are not perfect. This is why we are extended grace. Because our lives are a mess and they will continue to always be a mess without him. But places like this where we come together, we can celebrate what God is doing. I know sometimes there, there are people you run into and it's like, I want God to put some grace in that guy's life so that guy changes. Well, maybe God needs to put some grace in your life so you can start praying for that person and see the hope in the little things that God is doing in their life, maybe not in the one thing that you're specifically looking at. His grace is so expansive and so large. We want to trust what God is doing, not just in others, but in our own lives. And this is one reason every week we come to communion, where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. We don't pass communion around a room. It's always a response. But communion is a visible sign of the grace of God, that God has come and stepped into the place where we have sinned, where we have run from God, and He has brought us back to Himself by His own choice, by what He has done. And by taking communion, it's a remembrance of that, of God's great love, of God's great grace given to every single one of us. If you need prayer, there's going to be people who will pray for you. They'll be across the way in the lounge. You can go during music. You can go after service. Uh, If you have questions about what we talked about, they'd love to talk to you about that. If you have prayer requests, they want to pray with you. Because many times, I think grace, it's this word we throw around, but sometimes it's so hard to get our head completely around. 
And I think there'll be a day when we stand before Jesus and we're going to be like, oh, this is grace. Now I get it. And it'll be like this thing goes on into eternity. I think we're just going to be floored more and more by a deeper and more profound understanding of what grace actually is in our lives. Um, if you want to give, uh, you know, again, we are a sacrificial people. We, ailment doesn't pass the plate, n- never have, and, and we won't because it's a response to what God has done. This is why there's offering box on the walls. This is why you, you can give online. It is simply a response to what God has done in our lives, and we don't want it forced upon anybody. We want it to be joyful, consistent, sacrificial as we give out of our abundance to those around us in need. And lastly, take some sermon notes. And take those questions in there. And even if you're not in the gospel community, talk to your friends or your family about some of those questions in there. What are the visible signs of grace that you can point out right now in your own life? What can you rejoice over of what God is doing? The beauty of that that will cause us to worship Him in profound ways. Because our focus does not need to be upon ourselves. It needs to be upon Christ and His work that He is doing in the world. Because that is grace. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would take and move us to begin to understand grace, that it would be a celebration of what you are doing, even in the hard places, that we would begin to see grace in the places where there are struggle, where where there's pain, where we don't know the end of a situation that we might find ourselves in the middle of, that that can still be the visible grace of you working in our lives as we continue to trust you in the midst of that. As our hearts and our lives begin to look more and more at visible signs of grace. God, today, this morning, Move our hearts to understand how great you are first. That our lens of our lives would not be myopic looking down just to see what I'm getting out of this grace. But to see who you are and what you are doing. And that would change how we see everything. And that we would have this deep theological insight to notice the grace that has not just been given once, but is continually given to us because you are good. And that would in turn make us the people who worship you with all of our lives, that our lives would change and they would move from self-focused to kingdom-focused as a response to understanding your great grace given to us, that we would serve, that we want to see everybody in this world come to know you in real and true ways. And again, that we be a joyful people full of celebration because of your grace given to us. Amen. So drop the the blinds. Just take a moment before you take communion, before you sing some songs with us and ask God right now, God, show me some visible signs of grace in my life right now. And again, that doesn't mean that the sun is shining because I think there's clouds right now. It doesn't mean that kids are singing and everything's great. It, it could be in something that's really hard. It could be something that's very stressful for you right now. But yet God is carrying you through the midst of that. 
And as you trust him more and more, that is a visible sign of his grace as he grows you. But maybe it is some joyful, awesome, amazing thing that God's doing right now. Say, God, reveal that to me. And then thank him for that. Because ultimately, there is no one who is as great as our God. And the grace that he provides. And that we then get to live in. So let's worship him for grace and visible signs of that grace.